Hello, Sawbona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Devon Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Have you said hello to the person next to you, around you? Just give them a nudge, check that they're awake, ready for the word. So good to see you all this morning. Welcome to church. Um, if you've just joined us and you're a first-time visitor, we just want to say welcome. We're, we're a different family. We're a multicultural, multi-generational uh, family, and we just want you to feel at home and, and just chill and enjoy being with us this morning. We are doing a series at the moment called God and Sexuality. So the disclaimer to the first-time visitors is we don't always talk about sex, okay? Just so you know. Uh, we do talk about other things, but we have chosen the la- these three weeks to talk about sexuality. And, uh, and because we really need to, amen? Can you say amen? We really need to. Um, so last week we, we started, and if, if you missed it, you can get the, go to our website and get the podcast, and I'd encourage you to do that because we are kind of building on, on what happened last week. Um, and there is a lot to get through on this topic. I have been doing so much research and studying over the last couple of weeks and reading. And I, I said to Paul the other night that I actually feel a little bit more like a sex therapist than a pastor at the moment. <laughs> but because um, of everything that I've been reading. But, but what I've, I've realized through this is, is this is a topic that really touches us at many levels. And it t- affects us on so many levels. And today what I'd like to do is I want to talk about the power of sex today. How's that for a sermon topic? (laughs) I want to talk about the power of sex. And in particular, I want to talk about the the power that sex has to to affect us and influence us um, in body, in soul, and in spirit. And the reason why I want to do that is because, like, as I've been studying and going through this topic, what I've realized is is we've, we've, we've kind of disconnected sex from all three, from the body, the soul, and the spirit. It's almost like there's, we can engage in sex, but it's, it won't really affect the body, and it won't really affect the soul, and it won't really affect the spirit. Or we've, we've kind of detached it, and sex has become this like product, like a shirt. You can just put it on. You can take it off. There's no real impact to your life. And so I want us to look at that today and see the impact of it in spirit, soul, and body. Um, but before we, we get into that... I want, to, uh, I want us to get into the Word this morning, okay? I want us to go to the Bible and, and look at Scripture on the topic of sexuality. And I want us to take a good while this morning just to read the Word. And I've chosen Proverbs chapter 5 for that. In fact, and, and the reason why is because, because Proverbs 5, well, if, there's actually four chapters in Proverbs uh, chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7 that are really dedicated to sexuality. Like four chapters, all right, in Proverbs, the book of wisdom, are dedicated to sexuality. And uh, how many chapters are in Proverbs? 31. What percentage is that? I, w- I wonder. I w- actually, and it's probably not only those four chapters, so um, more than 10%. But if we look at all the other chapters, we'll probably see a lot more in it as well. But anyway, so chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7 are these, these, these really amazing chapters written on sexuality. And they're written as a father giving, uh, giving advice to his sons. It's like a father who's sitting down with his sons and he's having the sex talk. 
And he's talking with them and he's saying, my sons, listen to me. Let me give you some advice on life. And we don't have time to read all four of those chapters, so we're just going to jump in and read chapter 5. And we're going to read the whole of chapter 5. And we're going to use that as a foundation to talk about the power of sex. Um, so, so we're going to read chapter 5. And the reason why I want us to just get into the Word is, I'm sure you, you guys know the analogy of, um, of the frog in hot water. Have, have you, do you know that, that illustration of like, if you take a frog and you drop him in hot water, he'll jump straight out. But if you put the frog in lukewarm water or even cold water and you slowly heat up the water, you will eventually boil the frog and he won't even know. He'll die and he won't even know. Why? Because his ability to uh, regulate his body temperature according to his outside temperature is a little bit dysfunctional. So he doesn't react quick enough. He doesn't know that he's getting cooked. And, um, And I just thought about, you know, on this area of sexuality, we are bombarded every single day a particular worldview on sex. Every day. It's coming at us through TV, movies, radio station. I mean, the topics on whether it's homosexuality or lesbianism coming through in our sitcoms or it's about condoms or birth control or about marriage or about family or whatever. There's this, this worldview that's being pushed at us all the time. And and for and, and I think in many ways we 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 kind of like the frog, <laughs> you know. Our generation, I spoke about this last week, has gone through a sexual revolution. Revolution in the last 50 years, the ideas about sex have changed radically. Okay, and it's almost, but it, but it's been over 50 years. You know, so it's almost like if you're living in it, it's not. It feels drastic, but it's not too drastic. And the result is that we can then get accustomed. You know, when it comes to sexual immorality, it's, oh, my friend lives with her boyfriend, my brother, you know, he lives with his girl, they, girlfriend, they're not married yet, my aunt has three children from three different men, my parents are divorced, um, you know, there, there's just this, this area of, like, we live in a world like that, am I right? And, and so it's very easy for us to become like that frog where those ideas just become normal to us. They just become like, this is life, this is how we go, you have sex before marriage, you, 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 have, you need to find the right one before you have the true one. You know, there's all these ideas. And they just suddenly, that they find a way into our hearts, they find a way into our lifestyle. So what I, I'm hoping, that as we read Proverbs 5, that we, we would just jump out of the world's pot. <laughs> and we would just bathe in the Word of God. We'll just bathe in it. And just let's, let's just see a different perspective on sexuality. Let's see God's perspective on sexuality and use that as a foundation then for talking more. Are we okay with that? So let's, let's just stand to our feet and let's pray our prayer before we get into the Word. Let's go. Father in heaven, I commit this time to you. I believe your plans for me are good. And everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, healing, and direction. I treasure your word more than my daily bread. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. You know, those are not just words we're praying. 
Sex has power to shape your life. But the Word of God is more powerful. There's life, there's healing, and there's direction in the Word. So let's go to Proverbs 5 and, uh, and let's read it together. If you have a Bible, it would be good because the words won't come up this morning. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell, lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others. And your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth. And your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last. When your flesh and your body are consumed. And say, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own system, and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of your youth, as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times, and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman, and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Amen. All right. Um, so, <laughs> that was quite a dramatic piece. <laughs> um, uh, in this chapter, you know, when we, when we read these four chapters all together, what, there's three things that I notice straight away. And, um, and I want to just talk about those three in a, in a moment. But in chapter 7, like so you progress from chapter 5 to chapter 6 to 7, and in verse 21, it's, it's, so the whole way through these four chapters, it's giving this kind of, it's personifying immorality. That's what it's doing. And it's making immorality look like this promiscuous woman and his father's talking to his sons and he's saying, you know, watch out for immorality. 
Okay, that's what is going on. So it's not like an actual woman. It's, he's personifying um, immorality. And in chapter 7, verse 21, he says, With persuasive words, she led him astray. She d- seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, Till, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. So there's a couple of things I notice from all these chapters, these, if you read them all together. The first thing I notice is, that, is this word alluring. Okay? Is that sexual sin is alluring. What does alluring mean? It means powerfully attractive, fascinating, seductive, appealing, inviting, and tempting. I mean, if you look at chapter 5, it says, her lips are sweeter than honey. Huh? And it's not, and we're not talking about a particular girl. We're talking about immorality. Immorality is being personified. Her lips are sweeter than honey. Like, is they really sweeter than honey? Anyway, her mouth is smoother than oil. In chapter 7, what I just read there, it says persuasive words, smooth talk. And, and it talks about this young man in chapter 7 who doesn't listen to advice and wisdom. And he gets trapped in the snare. And she comes out and she meets this young guy on the street. And she says these words, I've been looking just for you. <laughs> it's like it's personal. It's like I notice you. You're the one. You're it. You know, it's like immorality has this way of, of, of affirming us or coming to us and promising so much. It's, it's so tempting. It's so fascinating. And it's so desirable. It, it carries on. And, and the woman says to the young man, says, I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. You know, it's like this is going to be amazing. This is going to be perfumed bed you know what i mean like i don't know you know (laughs) like like really like really really okay that's like taking it to another level of kinky you know what i mean that's like you know but but this is what it does it's like there's this picture painted to this young man of of this bed that's perfumed and then she says this to him come let us drink deeply of love till morning (laughs) <laughs> I read that and I said, till morning? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like that's not just a one-night stand. That's like an all-night stand that's being promised <laughs> over here. Um, and, and, you know, I w- so I went and did some research on, on, like, what is the average time people take in having sex? Are you okay this morning? Are you fine? <laughs> I feel like I'm... I hope you're alright, okay? Just relax. Relax. What I found was that the average time for sex ranges from 33 seconds to a maximum reported in surveys, maximum ever reported of 44 minutes, okay? The medium, the average across all couples and all uh, cultures was 5.4 minutes. So let us drink deeply of love till morning. It's promising a lot more than what it's delivering. 
And you know, so, the, so there is this, the first thing I notice is this allure of immorality. It's painted with such a, a picture of promise, such a picture of temptation. It looks so good. It looks amazing. It's kind of like Eve in the Garden of Eden with that fruit. You know, it, it, the Bible says that when she saw that it was good for food, in other words, when she saw that it was good for the body, okay, and when she saw that it was desirable to the eyes, it looked nice, and that it was desirable or had the ability to make one wise, then she ate of it. Okay? And I thought, well, isn't that like the same as sex? It's, it looks so good to the body. It looks like your, your body just says, yes, that's what I've been looking for, you know? And, and it's good to the eyes. It's like there's this thing about, I mean, otherwise, let's be honest, we would not have a porn industry today if it wasn't good for the eyes. We, we, I mean, pornography is the biggest thing on the internet. You know, hundreds of billions of hits every single month going to porn. All right? If, if it wasn't good for the eyes or desirable, that there wasn't something with the eyes, we, that wouldn't be happening. Okay, and then and then the thing about the fruit in the garden was that it was had the ability to make one wise. There was this intangible placed on the tangible, this wisdom intangible placed on the tangible, the fruit. And I th- you know, isn't that what immorality looks like? There's this intangible promise of joy, or happiness, or fulfillment, or peace, or love. There's all these intangibles are attached to it. And if we're not wise, like Proverbs warns us, we will be fooled by this thing. We will bite this fruit. We will eat of this fruit. Okay? So the first thing I notice about immorality, sexual immorality here, is it's very alluring. It's very tempting in every way possible. The second thing I notice in these, in these chapters is that there are drastic warnings about it. Like, we've just read chapter 5, and let's be honest, that was a lot of warning going on there. You know, it says, My sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Verse 8, Stay away from her. (laughs) Stay away from immorality. Don't go near the door of her house. Alright, don't even, like, if the line is over there, don't go near the line. Okay, drastic warnings. In chapter 7 it says, Keep my words, store them in your heart, bind them on your fingers. Take the word, wrap them around your fingers. You know, like, who, how many of you people, like, you, if you've got to remember things, you, like, stick notes for yourself in different places, or you, or you write something on your hand, you know? It, you know, that doesn't work for me, but, you know, <laughs> I still forget. <laughs> But, but this is what he's trying to say. Is he's like, wrap it around your fingers. And then it says, write it on the tablet of your heart. Like, there are drastic warnings. Like, warning after warning after warning after warning. And then the third thing I notice about these chapters on sexuality. The Word of God then talks about severe consequences from immorality. Very alluring drastic warnings, but then severe consequences that follow from it. 
I mean, look at someone that says this. Her feet, immorality, goes down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. You will lose all you have achieved. You will groan in anguish as disease consumes your body, utter ruin, public disgrace. I mean, the consequences are, are they huge, right? They're radical. And, and you can see them all the way through those chapters. I just thought, isn't that very different to the world we live in? Like, are there any warning signs? I mean, just think about how you grew up and the sex education maybe you received. Was there ever a warning in there? Was there ever like, you know, some sort of guidance? And was there, ever, was there anyone who ever told you that there's going to be some severe consequences if you get into this? You know, when I, 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 didn't, get, I didn't get that, all right? And so I grew up in the sexual revolution and embraced it completely. When I got saved and I went to church, my church was doing a, a relationship. This church, all right, something, whatever, 18-something years ago, was doing a series, a relationship series. And I, and I went to that church with my live-in girlfriend, who wasn't my wife at the time. <laughs> Just to give you some context of my life, okay? I went into that relationship series, and I heard things that I have never heard in my life about sex. I sat there absolutely shocked. And I walked out of there thinking, why didn't somebody tell me this? I've grown up my whole life. Nobody ever told me this. I broke up with my girlfriend that very night. And I decided to walk a new course for my life. That's the power of the Word of God. It wasn't an easy process. It was a very difficult process. It took time. There was a lot of pain involved. There was a lot of hurt involved. There was, it was a mess, all right? But I made a decision to embrace the Word and follow the Word. And now I sit, like, you know, how many 18 years later from that decision, and I thank God for the wisdom I received that day. I thank Him for... I would not have the wife that I do and the family that I have today and the health and the, fulfillment and, and the fulfillment of all of those things, if I hadn't obeyed the Word of God that very night when I walked into campus and heard the Word for the very first time. And I just thought, you know, like if we do not talk about this, we are sending kids into utter ruin, public disgrace, disease, and they're losing all they're achieving. And if we do not talk about this topic, people... So we have, to, we have to just, like the world is painting this, it's okay, it's alright, explore your sexuality. I want you to see that the, the Bible is saying there's something very different here. And we have, once again, we have a choice of where we're going to find ourselves, where we're going to obey the Word. These warnings that we read in Proverbs, just in case you're thinking this is Old Testament, okay, are actually throughout the Bible and even found in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, run away from sexual sin or flee immorality, as some say, (laughs) some versions say. And then it goes on and says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So what do we do? We run away from it. 
And it's interesting how he brings the body into the equation here. Because what I've noticed in all my research is that the body <laughs> is kind of almost being detached from this thing. It's like we've detached the body. It's like you can, like sex is this other thing. It's like this product, but the body almost isn't involved in it. And we're going to talk in a moment just about the body and the effect of sex on the body. Um, in Matthew 5, 29, Jesus said the following words. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, <laughs> causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This is where we get the term radical amputation from. Like if you're, if you're trapped in immorality in some way, what you have to do, according to the word of Jesus, obviously not, don't rip your eye out, please, okay? He's not talking literally. What he's saying is treat it with the highest urgency and the most radical way that you can. Cut it out. Check yourself into rehab. Come into accountability. Go get prayer. Go get counseling. Go, don't, treat, don't think like if there's, like this is okay, you can just kind of live with it and get over it eventually. No, treat it with, with, with a radicalness. All right? It's like a rattlesnake. All right? You be careful around it, you don't, you, around this thing. So, so it's not only Old Testament, it's New Testament. So why is there so many drastic warnings and why are there so many severe consequences to immorality? Well, we need to, in order to answer that, we need to understand the correlation between sex and the body and the soul and the spirit. So let's talk about the body. In that scripture we read now, 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul said this. He said, no other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. In Proverbs 5.11, it says, In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. When he says clear, so clearly affects, what he's saying is this, is that this one is obvious. <laughs> this one really affects the body. Okay? And, and in 1 Corinthians 6.13, he says, The body is not intended or designed for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. So, if we just think about this in terms of maker and creator right now. So, God creates mankind. So, God is the creator. All right? He's designed the human body to function in a particular way. And then He's given us an instruction manual with the body. It's called the Bible. And the Bible says, do not use this thing for sexual immorality. Okay, it says there's an instruction. Pretty much like if you opened your new cell phone. All right? How many of you love that unboxing moment? Just, you know, the unboxing of like the latest gadget or whatever. There's an instruction on there that says, warning, 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 do not submerse in water. Do not drop this in water. Warning, warning. Okay? When we, when we look at the warning on the box... What do we do? Do we go and just say, ah, I don't think so. Let me try it. <laughs> Come, let's go like swim for a little bit, bakuda in the water. Like let's, let's test this thing out. No, we see a warning and then we follow the warning, okay? And, and in, the, in the whole sexual revolution, it's amazing how the sexual revolution has taken the health of the body out of the debate when it comes to sex. They've like somehow managed to remove the two. 
Like we want sexual freedom, we want da da da, freedom, happiness, joy. You must try this, you must do that. Everybody's allowed to experiment. But then they're very, very slow to ever report on the health implications that are taking place in humanity right now. Did you know this? Think about this for a moment. In the area of STDs, can I just give you the latest from the World Health Organization? The latest from the World Health Organization. Before the sexual revolution started, we only knew of two STDs. All right? Now, there are over 20 that we know about. Just in the last 40-something years, okay? And the rate of infection, all right, is for STIs, sexually transmitted infections, is 1 million people per year? No? Per month? No? Per day. Per day. One million reported cases of se- reported. Okay, now you must understand this is something that's not really reported. Okay, so we, we, why? Because we're ashamed. We're ashamed about that part of our body and we're ashamed of what, what we did so we don't really tell anybody about it. We try and self-medicate or self-treat ourselves. Okay, but so there are one million cases of STIs reported every single day. There are over 500 million cases per year that are resulting in infertility, pain, and sometimes even death. It's like a statistic that the sexual revolution just sweep that, don't, don't talk about that one. Just push that under the carpet. I mean, AIDS came into the spotlight a little while ago. Right, the you know HIV and AIDS and and all of that, and lately it's lost its like global stage and voice. It's not that prominent anymore. But did you know that in the last 20 years, 20 million people have died from AIDS, and most of that has been uh, through through sex transmission and drug use as well, drug tr- using same needles and stuff like that. 20 million people in the last 20 years. And when we, when we go look back at when did like, AIDS actually make it onto the stage and how did it actually, like, how did we like, oh, there's this thing called AIDS. Where, what, when was that? That, was, that happened in the 1970s. And it happened in Los Angeles and New York because in those two cities, doctors noticed a whole lot of new cases of different types of pneumonia and all sorts of other diseases were being reported in those two cities. Where was it being reported? Amongst Men who were having sex with men. AIDS made it onto the spotlight, onto the stage, through the immoral lifestyles of the gay community. That's where it like suddenly came to. And like that's not something that that is actually told to us. That's something that's like quickly put that under the carpet, put it under the carpet. We're not going to talk about that. Let's sexual freedom. Let's explore our sexuality. But it's not only. STDs, all right, and it's not only HIV, what you find is that in cancers, uh, cervical cancer and prostate cancer and oral cancer, and so there's this graph, and I, sorry, I don't have it for you today, but it shows this. It says that as promiscuity increases, so if you can imagine a, a graph going up, all right, correlating directly with that graph, as promiscuity is increasing, so is disease and cancers and all everything else increasing. In fact, to the point where the more promiscuous you are, all right, um, let me just read it. Dr. Lee Fitzgerald all right, says the following. Promiscuity is one example of a class of high-risk behaviors comparable 
to and may coincide with behaviors such as heavy drinking, gambling, and other thrill-seeking behaviors like driving too fast. <laughs> Professor of psychology at Connecticut State University. So it's one example of, may, of other examples. It's highly dangerous is what she's basically saying to us. When you take that into the gay community, the LGB community, there was an epidemiological study, a study on disease, right, um, that was quite a while back that examined the gay community. And you know what they found? They found that in the gay community, if you choose to be gay or bisexual, you take 20 years off your life. 20-year difference in life expectancy from engaging in that. When, when the Bible says no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one, it's the truth. <laughs> it's just the plain truth. Okay? The scripture's not trying to like kill our fun. It's not trying to like hold back any enjoyment from us. It's just saying, like, when a, there's a cliff over there, if you fall, like death, or you can die, or it's dangerous, or whatever, so like, don't walk here. You know? it's, not, it's not trying to hinder our happiness. It's actually trying to protect our happiness. Right. Let's talk about the soul for a moment. Are you still okay? The soul is your inner world, right? Your emotional health, your mental health. And what they've found, now, like, again, the sexual revolution has done a lot to try and remove the soul from sex, okay? Like, it's, it's like you, like it's removed in some way, all right? But what studies are showing now is that the higher the number of sexual partners you have, the more likely you will be diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and substance dependency. It's just the stats. So what is that saying? It's saying this. It's saying that the more you engage in immorality, the more you're damaging your soul, your internal world, your emotional health becomes anxious, depressed, substance, you start looking for... And once again, when you take... And I'm not like... This is not to create any like sort of homophobia this morning, okay? We... We, we like, <laughs> guys, as a church, we accept everyone and we love everyone, okay? So just don't take it as like this is like a gay bashing in any way, all right? This is not that. But if you look at the LGB community, what you find is that it's well established that they have higher rates of psychiatric illnesses, including depression, drug abuse, suicide attempts as well. What does that say? And that's even in countries like the Netherlands where gay and lesbian and bisexual relationships are far more acceptable than in other nations. So it's not society that's actually causing this. It's the, it's the act that's causing this. Why is this so? Well, because sex involves the soul as well. Right? We can't separate the two. And it seems like, right, we can't like, like look at this under a microscope, but we can see the effects it seems like when you have sex, there's a soul tie that forms as well. There's like, like there's some sort of emotional bond that comes between two people. That's not just so it's not just a physical bond, but there's this emotional, mental bond that takes place. And for years we've just tried to say that's rubbish, that's that doesn't exist. But now even modern secular psychology is starting to show, and brain scans are starting to show. That when, when couples break up, couples that have been engaging 
in sexual intercourse, they then br- and they have a relationship. When they break up, the pain that they go through in the brain is exactly the same as when, like, physical pain, when a bone in your body breaks. This, like the same thing actually happens. The same part of the brain lights up. And it's amazing how the world then says the best way to get over somebody is just to get under somebody else. <laughs> like that's, that's the, like the same sort of rationality as like you broke your leg, shame. You know what? Break the other one and it won't feel as bad. Like... <laughs> We, we try and downplay like the emotional bond. But it's actually the most significant thing that's happening in sex. And, and what they've found even is that it's the same pain experiences that's experienced in breakups is the pain that addicts have when trying to come out of their addictions. So they get those cravings and the pain in their body, the cravings in their body, in their mind are the same as when couples break up. And so we see all this like sort of obsessive behavior and stuff. And when they showed pictures of their exes to people, they saw like brain scans showing the same patterns as addicts who are trying to get off heroin. So in a way, like you, if, if, through the act of sex, we become addicted to each other. <laughs> in some way, there's some sort of like soul connection that's taking place. I know when I'm traveling, like after four days, I'm like, where is my wife? I'm like, I just, <laughs> you know, there's a part of me that's like seriously, I feel like I start becoming dysfunctional almost, you know, like I need my wife. <laughs> need you, baby. <laughs> um, and so like the, the hookup culture is like, okay, but what if there's no relationship? Like, what if we, can't we just have sex and there's no relationship? Then my soul's okay, right? It's protected. In the, it's like, because I didn't put it in there anyway. What we're finding is you can't take the soul out of sex in as much as you can't live remote control from your body. And we can't convince ourselves that the body is doing something, but the soul and the heart are not involved and still stay healthy. We were designed to love with all of our heart with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our physical strength as well. Health is when all are involved. When we start to detach, we get unhealthy. Psychologically, we start getting messed up. Add into this, when we're talking about the soul in sex, right? you add into this the effect of the conscience in sex. All right? So, you know, once again, secular studies you know, dismiss this thing called the conscience. But we can't get away from... Do you, do you know what conscience is? It comes from two words, con, science, which con means with and science means knowledge. It means with knowledge. Conscience means you are with knowledge. God has put knowledge in you. The Bible says that what is known of God is put in you. Like you, it's from, from birth. Like if, if we'll look around the world today and, and notice one thing about every culture in the world. No matter where you go, you'll find worship. In some form or some way. Why? Because we pre-programmed with it. We, there's this knowledge that we were designed for worship. There's this knowledge that we were designed for something. Not only are we designed for worship, but the, the, the moral code of God has been written into us. I mean, if, if, if we had to, like, if I had to just go and, like, like, I was walking to, imagine there was a granny walking to a chair 
and I walk and I just sit down and push her away. Like, there's something in us that just goes, that's not right. You know, and when you look at it even, in, like, it's like, it's not, it's just, we just know that thing is not right. There's this conscience inside of us. And so, this conscience is in every person. And if you engage in immorality, what your conscience will tell you is, this is wrong. Stop it. <laughs> your conscience will say, this is not how you're designed. This is not the type of life that God has programmed for you. You are, you are stepping outside the boundaries of your design. Okay? And the more, like, so, so when you engage in conscience, and if, you, if your conscience has been like, nurtured while you were growing up, you had good parents that helped you build a good conscience, Right, what you find then if you start to engage in immorality is that your conscience will start to convict you. It becomes this thing in your life that's, that's painful. Because you're, you're like you, it's like you know, stepping on a thorn and then doing it again and doing it again. Your body's saying no and you're going, but I want to. And it's sore and your conscience is like telling you no and it's no and it's no. And what happens is you start to feel guilty you start to feel shame. You start to have self-hate. You start, you know, all of these things. And then you have to make a choice. There's a choice that you have to make where you go, conscious, I don't want to listen to you anymore. In order to keep enjoying what you're doing, there's a moment where you have to overrule your conscience. And God has designed you in such a way, to, He's given you a will. Okay? And your will is your will. He cannot even... Mess with your will, all right? Your will is yours to use. And when you, if you decide and say, this is it, then that's it. He respects you, all right? He respects your decision. That's why salvation is a decision. This is a decision. You have to choose God. You have to say, I choose you. It's not going to happen by osmosis. You have to say, Lord, come into my heart. Come save me. I acknowledge my sin. I confess my sin. It's a decision you have to make. The will, all right? So when you activate your will and you say, conscience, I don't want to listen to you anymore, what happens in that moment is your conscience becomes seared. We see this in Romans chapter 1. And when your conscience is seared, then all manner, you become... Basically, you become dangerous. All manner of sin then becomes possible in your life. Because it's now seared. You don't have a warning light anymore. You don't have a little something that says, I don't know if you should take that bribe. You've overruled your conscience. And so what happens is you start to lack wisdom and you start to act according to impulses. So you steal, you cheat, you lie, you everything, all of these other sins become so much easier because the conscience is seared. The robot's not working anymore in you. And I know this, like I've just seen this personally in my own life, just growing up. There was that point where I was like, just enough, go away, conscience. And then it's just amazing how you become susceptible to so many other sins. More wicked, more degrading and more destructive. So we can't remove the soul from sex. Right? Let's talk about the spiritual side of sex for a moment. Are you still alright? Not just the person next to you? Just check. They're all okay? Everyone here? Alright. <laughs> it's hot. Yeah, I think that's just the air con though. Let's talk about the spiritual side. Um, sex, according to the Bible, 
is not just a physical and soul thing, but it's also a spiritual thing as well. In, in the Bible, we, we have, this, um, we have this, this thing called covenant in the Bible. And covenant is really the highest form of relationship that can exist. Right? A covenantal agreement. Marriage is an example of covenant. God comes into, he wants a relationship with us that's a covenant relationship. A lot of people are like, I just want friendship. I just kind of want a casual relationship with God. That's not on offer. All right? It's, it's like it's a covenant that he's offering us. So the Bible is divided into the old covenant and the new covenant. All right? the, old, the old agreement that God has with man and the new agreement. Okay? New Testament is another word for covenant. All right? So the Bible talks about covenant being this highest relationship that exists between two people. In the act of covenant, there was this ritual that people would go through where they would take off their robe and they would put it on the other person and vice versa, signifying everything that covers and protects me now covers and protects you. They would take off their belts, typically where their weapons were, and they would put it on the other person. The other person's belt would come on them. And that would be symbolic of whatever protects me now protects you. And, and then we would exchange names. You would take a little bit of my name and I'll take a little bit of your name. And the, there would be this, like, in other words, we're becoming one. And so there was, a, there was actually eight steps of covenant. And the final step was the shedding of blood. What they would do is they would cut their palms and put their pa- hands together and the, bloods, the blood would mix. And basically, that's where we get the term blood brothers from. Okay? And symbolically saying that my life is your life. Okay? Jesus, when he bled on the cross, the, he said these are the signs, the nail-scarred hands are the signs of the new covenant. All right? He shed blood to enter into a relationship with us. Okay? So, so there was the shedding of blood. Now marriage is designed by the Creator. Okay? Not as a casual relationship. Not as something that you just like, hey, we'll have it today, but tomorrow I'm not sure. Next week, are you good? I'm good next week, but the week after I'm traveling. You know what I mean? It's n- that's not marriage, okay? It's designed, marriage is designed as a covenant. And in fact, marriage is a representation of the covenant that Jesus has with the church. All right? We call the bride of Christ. and So marriage is, is not only just a covenant, but it's a picture of a higher spiritual reality. So when we talk about marriage, marriage is a spiritual thing. It carries spiritual significance in the spirit atmosphere. There's, a, there's a something spiritual about it, not just a sexual thing about it. Okay? Not just a like, oh, we're going to live together thing. Okay? There's responsibility, there's commitment, there's a coming together, there's two becoming one in the process. When a virgin has sex for the first time, the hymen is broken and blood is shed. Scientists don't know why girls have hymens. They don't know what, what is the hymen there for. Like, what, you know, it's, it doesn't seem to have any sort of use. But the first time that you have sex with a virgin, the hymen is broken and blood is shed. In Hebrew culture, what would happen is, it was a little bit more graphic than our culture, all right? Once the newly married couple had been married, they would go to a room like, like there. We would all still be here, like, you know, sitting at the tables or whatever. And they would go for it over there, right? They would close the door. The best man, right, the bridegroom would stand at the door, all right? He would then take the sheet, the white sheet, and show that the blood has been spilled. And everybody would celebrate. 
that covenant had been made. I know it's like hectic. Like we cannot even imagine that, you know. Like on my marriage night, I just wanted to be far away from any family member or any, you know what I mean? But that's just how we've become so separated from the idea of covenant. It's like it's a foreign thing to us, okay? So like when I heard that, I didn't know. You know what the hymen was for growing up? Nobody taught me that. But that, that, that the girl is designed in such a way, right, that she is meant for like one guy. And there's meant to be this covenant that then, you know, that breaks that hymen and then causes this relationship to unite. And the, and the life flows from one person to the next. It's a highly spiritual thing. Okay? Now, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And he says this, he says, Shall I take the temple of God and join it to the temple of idols? Should I, t- should I, if I take my body and I join it to a prostitute, he says, should I do that? And then he says, never. Don't you know that he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one with her? For the two shall become one. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 6. What he's, he's trying to bring the Corinthian church to understand is that sex is not just this physical act, but it's a covenantal spiritual thing as well. That when you have sex with that prostitute, it's not just bodies coming together, but there's a covenant that's forming. And in covenant, all that protects me now protects you. The spiritual climate over me now affects you. When you join yourself to a prostitute, the spiritual climate over her or him all right, now has legal access into your life. And you, you share in the sin of prostitution. You share in that sin as well. So, this is how Satan wants to, to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Okay? But the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the ways he comes to steal and kill and destroy in our lives is by tempting us. Remember how enticing sexual immorality is. It's enticing. Her lips drip with honey. Okay, that whole thing. All right? He tempts us with sexual immorality. We buy it, okay, not knowing that when we enter into agreements with those people, right, the spiritual authority in that life now has access into our life. When you go look at satanic worship everywhere in the world, what you will find in all of the rituals is their sexual immorality. Mass orgies, all of that sort of stuff. Why? Because the transference of the demonic happens through sex. There's a spiritual transaction that then equalizes things and allows climates to change. So, so this for, as, for Christians, this has radical implications. You're right. Okay. This has radical implications. Why? Well, because you have the Spirit of God in your life. Okay. You live under the climate of heaven. You've been given authority over the enemy. You've, the Bible says that Jesus gives us authority to trample over snakes, over scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. Your authority and spiritual power as a Christian is critical to you fulfilling your destiny in Christ. Everything you do is going to be a spiritual battle. Starting that business, finishing that degree, taking dominion over the earth, all of that, that is a, a spiritual battle that you're going to face. And if you're engaging in immorality, and Jesus said, even if you look with lust, you've committed adultery. 
When you're engaging in sexual immorality, all right, what you're doing is you're opening the door. You're like swinging wide the door open and you're saying, Satan, you know, you're welcome to come in and you neutralize your spiritual authority and power. The very thing that you need in order to accomplish your destiny. That's why I say to the men, often it's not a purity battle. It's a destiny battle. Satan wants to neutralize you. He wants you spiritually disempowered. Spiritual power and authority come from resisting temptation. When Jesus resisted Satan in the wilderness, it says he left the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he walked into the synagogue and all the eyes were on him and he began to heal the sick and everything started to happen. His destiny began to explode. But it happened first because he resisted temptation. We cannot think for one minute that we can engage and bite from temptation and then step out and try and fight and take ground and stuff and expect to have any sort of impact. We can't. We've lost it. We've neutralized ourselves. We've lost our authority. We've lost our power. You know, Paul said this. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come to you in, in the wise words, but I came in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. If we do not have the Holy Spirit and power, we are like everybody else. And the Bible talks about this, this form of godliness, but with no power in the New Testament. It says they have a form of godliness, but there's no power attached to it. Why is there no power attached to it? Because we compromised in immorality. We're like Samson, lying in the arms of Delilah, getting our power snipped away by the enemy. And the Bible says this, he woke up and he tried to engage in battle and he did not know that his power had gone. We try to step out, but we don't even, but we get up, we get kicked. I was going to say, we get up, kicked, right? <laughs> we try to engage in prayer. We try to see our families saved and set free. We try to see prosperity come to our, fa- our neighborhoods and all of these things what, where there's no power. We're just like Samson. We're in compromise. And that compromise affects us spiritually. So effect, sex affects the spirit as well. Proverbs 6 concludes the matter on this. In verse 27, it says the following. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? And the answer is obviously no. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. And this, this, is not, this is in the context of chapter 6, which is all about sexual immorality. Basically, we cannot engage in this and not get hurt in some way, spirit, soul, or body. There's so much more I could share, but I feel like let me just wrap this, okay? Let me wrap this with some hope. (laughs) Who needs some hope right now? (laughs) 1 Thessalonians, I'll close with this scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says the following. Can we read it? Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does Jesus do? The God of peace himself sanctifies. What does this word sanctify? Cleans. Cleans, makes whole. But not only is just like clean, holy clean, beautiful clean, amazing clean. Right? So this is, this is our God. What does He do? He cleans us, spirit, soul, and body. Not just clean, clean, but like, like, like holy clean, without spots and without blemish. He washes away our sin. He makes us whole again. Okay? In Japan, they have this art called kintsugi. Has anybody heard of kintsugi? Can we, can we just look at this bowl over here? Do you guys know kintsugi? So kintsugi, for those of you who don't know, all right, is this, it's an art where if a bowl breaks, in our culture we throw it away, like it's lost its value. But it, kintsugi embraces the idea that everything has value always. It never loses its value. And what it seeks to do is restore value to what is broken. And when it restores value, it takes gold. Okay? And it's, so that broken bowl over there with those gold lines through it, okay, that's, those are the lines where the bowl was broken. And what it does is, in this art, they take gold and they use gold to like, stick the bowl back together again. And what you have is a bowl that actually, in a way, almost looks more beautiful than what it was before. Why? It, it's got scars on it, but guess what? Those scars are shining with gold. And this is what God does to our lives. He takes us in our sexual brokenness, all right? And He's got mercy for us today, guys. He's got so much mercy for us. I mean, the fact that you hear, that you're listening, it's just Him saying, I love you, and like, come out of the world, come out of that thing, it's only going to hurt you, and when you come to me, I'm not going to throw you away, I'm going to restore you and make something better from your life. And so, like, I look at this and I go, I think that's me. I think that's me. I think my scars, I have scars, but they're laced with the glory and the testimony of God. My scars are actually something that I can use to show the glory of God. Something that I can use as a testimony of the power of God and the brilliance of God. This is what He does with our brokenness, people. And so if you're here and you're broken in some way, I want you to know this is how Jesus sees you. And this is what He wants to do in your life. But what it needs from you is this. Throw away the ideas of the world. Come out from the world. And accept as true the maker's manual for your life. Accept it as true. Embrace the warnings. Build your life around them. And you will taste and see that the Lord is good. And that He only has good things for your life. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, guys. <clears throat> Thanks, Endor. Let's, um, let's just pray for a moment, if we could. Um, so many things I want to do. Uh, let's just pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time that we've had. Thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you, Lord, that you heal every broken heart this morning. Thank you that you touch every person's life. You heal everyone here, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come over this congregation and you 
to Kintsugi, Lord, as only you can on the lives that are here. Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, while I was preaching, I said, you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. You have to exercise your will. You have to accept Him and allow Him to come into your heart. The promise of Kintsugi on your heart and life only starts when you say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my heart. I repent of my sin. I turn away from what I know is wrong, and I choose you as my Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you haven't yet made that decision to allow Him to come to you, I want to give you the chance. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, just raise your hand where you are, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you're here today and you need to make that choice to allow Jesus to come into your life, if you haven't yet done that before, just why don't you slip up your hand so I know where you are, and then we're going to pray over you. Anybody here? Lift it up high so I can see it. Well done over there. Anybody else? Well done over here, champ. Anybody else? Anybody else here? You want to give your life to Jesus, man? Come on. You haven't yet made that decision. That's the most important decision you can ever make. Just You open the door to God. Man, it's amazing what He can do in your life. Anybody else here, you want to repent of your sin? You want to accept Jesus? Put your hand up now because I'm going to pray. Put your hand up now. Well done. Is that hand up? Well done. Well done. My wife's going to lead you guys in a prayer. is you talking to God. You know, we might have a corporate moment here, but this is a very individual moment as well. And I just want to encourage you to to swing wide the door of your heart. And you can repeat after me. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your word today. It has awakened me. It has awakened me. That I need I need to surrender my life to you. To surrender my life to you. I choose in this moment. I choose in this moment. To repent of my sin. To repent of my sin. Everything that I've done wrong. Everything that I've done wrong. That my conscience is reminding me of. My conscience is reminding me of. I bring it to you. I bring it to you. And I say that I'm sorry. And I say that I'm sorry. And I invite you. You to keep reminding me. To keep reminding. If there are any things I do that are wrong. If any things that I do that are wrong. That might grieve you. If I grieve you. And try to derail me. Try to derail me. For the purpose that you created me. For the purpose that you've created me. I choose right now. I choose right now. To accept Jesus Christ. To accept Jesus Christ. The gift to humanity. The gift to humanity. The one who can wash me whiter than snow. The one who can wash me whiter than snow. Who can give me a new start. 
Give me a new start. I put my trust in you, Jesus. I put my trust in you, Jesus. I invite you, Holy Spirit. I invite you, Holy Spirit. To empower me. Empower me. To walk out the life. To walk out the life. That God designed me for. That God designed me for. And as I turn away from the things I know that are wrong. And as I turn away from the things that I know are wrong. And I turn towards the things that bring life. Turn towards the things that bring life. I thank you that it's a day to celebrate. Thank you that it's a day to celebrate. Because the old things have passed away. All things have passed away. And behold, away. all things are new. And all things are new. Today is the day of my salvation. Today is the day of my salvation. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. 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 Well, let's give those guys a hand. Um, before, before we go, yeah. I want to encourage you, if you pray that, you need to come and meet with one of our leaders because you cannot do this walk in isolation. You've got to do it in community. So yeah. you, you need to come to the front and come so, and meet with one of our leaders and let them begin a process of discipleship with you. So, J.R. and Asipe, won't you come out here for just a moment? Flagger, won't you come here as well? So... There were two guys and there was a girl who raised their hand today. If you guys could just come and chat with these guys at the end of the service now, that would be awesome. Okay. Um, and if there was anybody else, you're welcome just to come as well. We didn't see your hand. Okay. But otherwise, God bless you guys. We'll see you all next week. If anybody needs prayer or ministry as a result of the word, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you and we'd love to journey with you. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he grant you peace and prosperity in all things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermon. Be blessed.